Have you ever wondered why God leaves you to go through some things instead of plucking you out of those things? Because you say to yourself, if I were you, God, I'd get me out of this. Right? And then he doesn't do it. You say, well, what's up with this? Because if I was you, I'd get me out. And we need to understand the ways of God today. And I'm going to talk to you about it. That um, The Bible talks about knowing the ways of God. That God's people ought to know the way he is. Not just who he is, but his ways. You know, you're with somebody for very long, you know their ways. You know what they generally do. You know their habits. You know the way they think. And we're to be that way with God in the sense of wisdom is to know his ways. And one of his ways is to walk us through the valley of the shadow, not to take us out of the valley of the shadow. And so I'm going to talk to you today about the subject delivered from or delivered through, delivered out of or delivered to. And I'm going to use uh, one of my favorite Old Testament stories. We're going to read it real quickly. My favorite three people, well, not my favorite three, but I like them. Shadrach. Everybody say Shadrach. Meshach. And Abednego. I strongly urge you, don't name your kids any of those. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It wouldn't go over well. But here's the deal. Uh, Where we're about to read is, you know, they've been taken captive into Babylon. and, And the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, decided that he would take the choicest Hebrews that were brought over from the captivity and that he would train them in Babylonian ways. So he looked for the brightest, the best looking, and the most gifted. And he wanted to train them in Babylonian pagan ways. So he chose Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the top four. Daniel was really in a realm all his own. Beneath him, the three Hebrew children. Now one day... Nebuchadnezzar, being a megalomaniac, an egomaniac, decided that he would build a statue of himself, 90 feet tall, pure gold. I would love to find that statue. Pure gold. Think of it, 90 feet high, pure gold. And he said, when musicians, when when my musicians hit a certain tune, I want everybody in my kingdom to bow down and worship this image of me, this idol of me. All right, we're picking up the story with the three Hebrew children saying, no way, Jose. Am I bowing to you? Now, Nebuchadnezzar gets wind of this and he is not happy. So in verse 14, Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you, listen to this now, here comes pressure. I'm giving you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, you better jump. But if you refuse, here's what I'm going to do to you. You'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now, everybody say intimidation. That's intimidation, all right? That's not a way I want to go, nor do you. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a major spine. I want to suggest this is the spine we must have in the last days. Because we are receiving pressure to bow. Okay? 
to bow to the culture, bow to the culture's thinking, the culture's ways. So here's what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Everybody say, he's able. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, I love verse 18, because it's so honest. They said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't take us out of it, but requires us to go through it, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods, and we will never worship the gold statue you have set up. Amen. Now, I really appreciate their grit, their faith, their resolve, that we're not going to bend, break, back down, bow. We won't do it. Father, I pray that as we go through this now, you will give us wisdom. As we look at your word, you will give us wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord, that we would understand why you require us to walk through some things like you did these three Hebrew children who were thrown into the fire. And we pray that, Lord, you'll give wisdom to us. And I pray for those that are hurting in this congregation right now uh, who are in a trial and have been in that trial maybe for a long time. And, Lord, the questions have come, and the devil has pounded our brain and, and, and hit us with doubts. And where is your God, and why isn't he helping you, and why is he leaving you in this? And I just pray, Lord, you would send wisdom and encouragement to those, and you will pick us up. You will encourage the discouraged. You will, you will brighten the eyes of the, the downcast, and you will put a new skip in our step and a new smile on our face and a new gleam in our eye and a new horizon and a new hope, Lord, and uh, just a new, a new unction from your spirit that you are with us. And if you're with us, who can be against us? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Pray, church, would you say, Lord, today, I give you my trials. I give you the test of my faith. Teach me your word. In Jesus' name, I receive it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. You may need this before you get home. Amen. Amen. And our prayers are with our missionaries. Can you imagine the mayor of the city handing you the key and saying, I'm turning this over to God? That's amazing. They've had all kinds of souls saved, and and we're going to hear some great reports when they get back. But now, in these passages, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, have put forth two possibilities of how God uh, brings us through a trial. He either takes us out of it, and that happens sometimes. How many of you like it when God does that? You're in the trial, and he delivers you out. He just delivers you out, all right? Or he can carry us through it, which God chooses to do, my experience tells me, more times than the other. He, he will carry us through it. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But really, either way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were trusting in God. I love what they said. He will rescue us. He will rescue us one way or the other. He will rescue us. But even if he doesn't take us out of it and he requires us to go through it, we're still not going to bow. Now, now that's the two options with any trial. God can look down and see that you're in a trial of your faith and quickly take you out, 
Something like you lose a job in the morning, he gives you another one by mid-afternoon. Amen? So you weren't in the trial for long. God, God took you out. Both kinds of miracles or both kinds of deliverances are, are, are miraculous. They're both miraculous. I think even more miraculous is those who walk through a trial for a long time and they endure and they persevere and God holds their hand and walks them through a long ordeal and carries them out to the other side and they come out on the other side with faith intact, praising God, mature in their faith and, and giving him glory. I think that's, that's almost a greater miracle than an instant deliverance. Can I have an amen? Seriously, that's almost a greater miracle. But let's admit it, we like it most when he takes us out. We like it most when, when he takes us out. I think of the disciples at sea. They, they get in the boat at Jesus' command, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and all is well. Clear blue sky, sun is shining, birds are singing, they're walking with the miracle worker, and all looks good. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm comes. And that's the way most storms come, out of nowhere. And it begins to pound the boat they're in. And the waves start rolling in, and the thunder starts roaring, and the lightning is flashing. And they become immediately afraid for their life. And Jesus stands up, talks to their storm, commands their storm to be still, be quiet and be still, and the storm goes away. And so Jesus right there delivered them out of the trial by telling the storm to stop. But the Bible is filled with stories of other people who don't experience that kind of a deliverance. But God requires them to walk through it. They're called to walk, walk through their trial and, and often when we're doing that, we, we are asking questions from time to time. We go, you know, how come you don't deliver me out, Lord? Where, where are you? Why are you letting me go through this? Do you see what I'm going through? Hello, God. Are you seeing me? Are you looking down at me? Are you aware that I'm here? Do you know my name? We just sang, he knows my name. But when you're in a hot trial, sometimes you wonder, does he really know my name? Now, that's not a legitimate, I mean, it's a good, nothing wrong with questions, but of course he knows your name. He, he knows when you were going to be born. He knows the day you're going to die. He knows your DNA makeup. He knows the way that he made you. He knows the calling on your life, and he chose you to walk with him before the foundation of the world. So, of course, he knows your name. But the bottom line is we go through this, and, and I want to answer those questions. Why does God require us or lead us to walk through a trial when he could easily send a legion of angels to take us right out? Why does he require us to walk through it? And so I'm going to give you three reasons why you're walking through a trial, and he has not taken you out of it, but he's gracing you to walk through it. I'm going to give you three reasons why. Here's the first one. He, he leads us through a trial so that we will learn to trust him. Learn to trust him. Everybody say the word trust. He, he leads us through certain trials. He doesn't take us out of it, but he walks us through it so that we will learn to trust him. Now I want you to think about trust for a minute because we can't live in this world without trust. Everything we do in life is based on trust or the lack thereof. You won't go to a doctor you don't trust. You've got to trust that doctor. You are never going to go in for a physical to a doctor you don't trust. Especially dentists. You will not go to a dentist you don't trust. 
because he's going to be drilling that tooth and you're going to be at his mercy and there is nothing like that sound as he does that to you. And so there's no way you're going to go into a dentist unless he inspires trust. Amen? We can't function in life without trust. You're never going to have a friendship that's going to last unless it is built on trust. All relationships are built on trust. Once trust is broken, that relationship is fragile, and it takes a while to build trust back up because trust is a very delicate, fragile thing. Once it's broken, it takes time to heal it because everything revolves around trust. Many people won't buy a car from a manufacturer that they don't trust. Some only buy American, they will not buy foreign. Some only buy foreign, they won't buy American. Why? Because they trust foreign more than American or American more than foreign. And it all comes down to trust. If somebody told you, man, I bought one of those cars and they give you the name of the car and it was a total lemon. When you go looking for a car, the last place you're going to look is where you were told somebody got a lemon. Because it's all built on trust. Say the word trust with me again. Everything. Listen, trust. All of life. You would not come to this church if you didn't trust me. You wouldn't. You wouldn't receive the word of God from me if you didn't trust me. Isn't that true? You, you wouldn't come here. You wouldn't tithe here. You wouldn't give to this church. If you didn't trust me, the organization, the eldership, the way we run things, you wouldn't do it. Because trust will either release that tithe or hold it back. It all comes down to trust. But listen, if it's that way horizontally, it's so much more that way when it comes to God. We, how can we walk with a God that we cannot trust? We must trust God. Can I say that again? We must trust God. See, the promises of God are only as good as the God of the promises. When somebody makes a promise, it's only as good as the character that backs up the promise. If you don't trust the character of somebody, you're never going to cut a business deal with them because you don't trust their character. You've got to trust somebody to enter in an agreement with them. Now, we got saved when we said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me for my sins, and I look to you to be the Savior of my soul. But there is no way in the world we're going to walk successfully with God, intimately with God, taking steps and leaps of faith if we don't trust the God who's calling us to take that jump. Come on, everybody. It's trust. It's so important that we trust God. Now, I know I talk about dogs a lot because I love dogs and I've got a lot of dog stories. So I'm going to tell you another dog story. I, when I, we were living in East Texas, uh, and when I was pastoring my first church, we lived on uh, four acres of land that we got dirt cheap, no pun intended, but it was dirt cheap. It's crazy cheap. And, uh, but, and it was beautiful land. And uh, there was a creek that ran through it. And in the wintertime, deer would come down there and drink out of the creek. And it was just this beautiful, beautiful. But in the springtime, when it would rain, this thing would rise and it would flood. Now, I had a little dog named Scooter. How many of you have ever had a Scooter? It's just a real, okay. I had a little dog named Scooter. And Scooter used to love to go on walks with me. And so we would walk around on this land and, and, and just, uh, just, just enjoying the outside. But one day... Uh, I crossed this river or this creek when it was so swollen, it was almost like a river. I crossed it, got to the other side, and Scooter was on the other side, and he's looking at me. And so I said, come on, Scooter, 
jump. Scooter looked at me and I can see dog thinking going on in his head. He's thinking, I love you, but there is no way I'm jumping across that creek. But I wouldn't let go. I said, come on, Scooter, jump. Now he started doing this. He starts pacing. I can see Scooter is having a major decision crisis. He's doing this. He's wondering, do I jump? Do I not jump? Can I trust him? Because after all, it's really not a matter of the raging creek. It's a matter of, can I trust the word of my master? And so he's going back and forth like this. And a couple of times he came back and he took, he started running towards the, towards the, the creek. And right when he got to the edge, he put on the brakes and stopped. And that's the way some of our walks with God look like. Heel marks all the way. We, we start and we stop because we're not sure we can trust him. So I, finally, Scooter, after a couple of false starts, I could see he said to himself, if I perish, I perish. I'm jumping. And he ran and he jumped and he landed in my arms. His back legs touched the water, but I was there to catch him. And after that, Scooter had no issue at all with jumping that creek because he knew he could trust me. He knew he could trust me, but I had to build that trust so that he knew when he calls me, I can trust that I can do what he's calling me to do because if I couldn't do it, he wouldn't call me to do it. Now, it's that way with God. God says, I want you to take this step of faith, that step of faith. I want you to follow me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to trust me. I want you to live according to my teachings. I want you to live your life according to my word. I want you to take this step of faith, that step of faith, witness to that person, pray in the prayer closet. I I want you to take this step into this ministry. I want you to begin to reach others for me. I want you to do this, that, or the other. And we stand at the swollen creek. We stand and we see him on the other side and we finally decide to jump. Now listen, God has to teach us to trust him because it's not easy trusting God. Can I just be honest? It's not easy trusting God. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't hear him like we do other people. He's invisible. And complicating all that is many of us, before we ever knew the Lord, we were hurt in the world. We were hurt. We were hurt out there. Somebody betrayed us. Somebody lied to us. Somebody walked out on us. Somebody stabbed us in the back. Somebody did us wrong. Somebody left us standing alone. Somebody left us by ourselves and, 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 and after many, many promises, we realized that they had not kept them. And so we learned to mistrust. We learned to not trust. And some of us came to Jesus with a wall inside our soul 10 feet high and there is a door in that wall and it is locked, padlocked, deadlocked, locked every way it can be locked and hanging on that door is a sign that says, keep out. I'm never letting you in again. I'm never going to let myself be hurt again. Listen, I'm never going to trust again. Now, God has to undo that. God has got to break through that. God has got to teach us to trust again because he's not like them. He's not like people. He's not like those that walked out on you and hurt you and lied to you and betrayed you. He's not like that. Jesus said, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will never walk out. When everybody else walks out, I will walk in. I will never leave you. I'm not ever going to let you down. I'm not, anybody in here, can you really truly say God has ever failed you? 
No, God has never failed you. He's never failed me. But he's got to teach us to trust him. And it takes him time to teach us to trust him. It's part of the renewing of our mind. It's like he's saying to us, listen, I'm not like them. You can trust me. That's why the Bible describes his character over and over and over again. He's faithful and true. He's true to his word. He will never let us down. He's a forgiving God, a merciful God, a loyal God, a faithful God, a compassionate God, a loving God, a a staying God, a keeping God, an upholding God, a healing God, a delivering God, a providing God. He's God. So he says, I'm going to have to teach you how to trust. I think of the children of Israel when they were walking through the terrible wilderness. And I want you to listen to the way that Moses reminds the people what God did when he led them through the wilderness. He said, God led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Look at where God took them. Look what he took them through. Look what he led them to. He led them to a place where there was venomous serpents and where there were scorpions and where there was thirsty ground, where there was no water and where they needed God to protect them. And yet every one of them came through to the other side, every one of them. And he goes on, he says, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. I gave you water out of a place that normally can't provide water. In other words, I made a way where there was no way. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna Meaning, what is it? He fed you with what is it? You looked at it and said, what is it? And he fed you with what is it? To show you that he would never, never, never let you down. He's your provider. That your fathers didn't know. Nobody had ever seen this. What is it? That he might humble you and test you. Now listen to the last six words in this verse. To do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. When God works in our life, folks, when he allows us to walk through a trial, when he doesn't take us out, but he carries us through, it is always to do us good in the end. God is always looking at the end of a thing. He sees the end of a thing before its beginning begins. And he says, I know where I want you. I want you in the fullness of the stature of Christ. I want your faith to be strong. I want you to be a power for me. I want you to rebuke devils. I want you to share my son. I want you to leave a a footprint of of me in your life before you die. I want you to do exploits for God. So for me to get you there, I've got to let you go through some things where there's some fiery serpents and some scorpions, and I've got to make a way where there is no way so that it'll do you good good in the end. In the whole 40 years that Israel journeyed through the wilderness, God was trying to teach them just one thing, trust. Just one thing. It wasn't a long list of things God was after. He said, everything I'm carrying you through, I'm trying to teach you one thing, trust. I want you to learn trust. I want you to trust me. Because if you can't trust me, you will not be able to bring the giants down in the promised land. You've got to learn trust on this side. So when I take you to the other side, you know that I'm not going to walk away when you're facing a giant. You know you can bring that giant down because of what I taught you in the wilderness experiences of life. 
And they fail. They never learn. In 40 years, they never learn to trust God. Not once. They complain themselves into a grave. And that whole first generation didn't cross over. You know why? Because they didn't learn to trust God. That's all. It's that simple. They complained instead of trusting. Now, now Paul, the apostle, comes along in the Bible, and he tells us he's very transparent. I love this about Paul. Very transparent. He says, let me tell you about a time that I had to learn trust, that I was forced to learn to trust God. He, 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 tells, he tells the people in Corinth, he says, what we went through in Asia was so bad. Now, this is his second missionary journey. We don't know what he's referring to, but I do know this. It was bad. He said, what we went through was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We thought it was all over for us. Maybe some of you feel that way today. You're thinking, how am I ever going to make it through this? I don't know if I can make it. Some of you watching by streaming video in your living room, welcome to the service. But maybe you're sitting there, maybe you're not in church today because you couldn't get here because of what you're going through. And you're wondering, am I going to make it? I want you to hold on because you're going to more than make it. But watch this. Here's Paul, the mighty apostle Paul, being very honest. So bad. We didn't think we were going to make it. We thought we were going to die. We thought we were going to die in Asia. But as it turned out, listen to his words, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Did you hear that like I heard that? He's saying what we thought was going to kill us turned out to be the best thing that could have happened. Because instead of trusting in our own strength or our own wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, we were forced. He said, he said this trial took me to a level of trust that I would never have reached on my own. This trial forced me to quit trusting in my own brains, my own talent, my own charisma, my own wherewithal, my own giftedness, and taught me that I'm gonna have to trust God. Listen, you know you're in a trial, a real trial, if there's no way out but God. And that's where they were right here. They had no way out but God. And he said, it forced me to trust God totally so I can look back on it and see it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And can I prophesy to some of you today what you're going through right now? You feel like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to pull through. But can I tell you that your God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he is not going to fail you. He's not going to let you down. He's going to carry you when you can't walk. He's going to carry you when you can't carry yourself. And he's going to get you to the other side. And when you get to the other side, you're going to look back in the rear view mirror and say, what he carried me through brought me to a level of hope and a level of faith and a level of trust I would never have achieved on my own. So it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Come on, church. Come on. That's one reason that God leaves you in a trial. A second reason God chooses to walk us through trials is that he might make us a blessing to others. Listen to what Peter Marshall wrote. I just had to pull this quote. He said, God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessing can come out of the difficulty. Amen. 
And one of those specific plans, notice he said a specific plan by which great blessing will come out of the difficulty. One of those specific plans is that we would help people in our future that are hurting like we are right now. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, all praise to God. Can we say that together? All praise to God. Let's try it again. All praise to God. Can we just do a sermon, pause, and lift our hands and say, all praise to God, Lord. Just thank the Lord. I want you to thank the Lord that he's got your situation. Would you thank the Lord that he's got your situation right now? Go ahead and just say, Lord, thank you. You've got me. You've got it. Can we give him, come on, praise him. Praise him in the house of God. Some of you are thinking, this is not as formal as I'm used to. I don't like formal. I don't want, that's why I want people in the altar worshiping God. I want freedom, not formal. You can have formal, you can have freedom. Some freedom is crazy freedom, but then there's real freedom. And I don't want freezing formal. I want fiery freedom. Amen. Made that up just then. I'm going to put that on the refrigerator because it even rhymed. Thank you, Lord. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Now, look what God does when you're in your trial. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. He's saying, you can't give what you don't have. So the, the reason you go through a trial is in that trial, you learn to let God comfort you. You learn to let God encourage you. You learn to grab that Bible and wrap it around, hug it like a, like a little baby and say, thank God for the word of God. It is my comfort. He sent his word and healed them. The word of God, he's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all hope. He's the God of all healing. And in that trial, we learn the comforts of God. And as he comforts us in our trial, see, somebody is waiting on the other side of your trial. Somebody in need is waiting on the other side of your trial. And they're going to be hurting over something that you're hurting over right now. And they're going to need somebody who gets it, somebody who understands, somebody who can wrap their arms around them and say, look, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Let me tell you, God can comfort you. God can help you. God can pull you through this. He pulled me through. He'll pull you through. I'm giving you what he gave me. I'm giving you what he gave me. I'm giving you what he gave me. God never wastes a pain. Any pain we go through, and we will go through pain. God says, I'm going to take that. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to carry you through it. And then these people are waiting on the other side, and you're going to encounter them at the office or at home or on the street or at church, and they're going to be hurting, weeping, crying, in pain, wondering, am I going to make it? And you're going to be able to walk up to them and give them what I gave you. Who can help somebody better who has lost a loved one than somebody that's been comforted by God who also lost a loved one? Who, who can hold a struggling alcoholic's hand and encourage them better 
than somebody who fought alcoholism in Jesus' name and won the battle? Who can understand them better? Who can comfort a broken-hearted parent better whose kids have gone crazy? They won't listen to you anymore. They're off doing their own thing. They've rejected God, everything you ever taught them, and you're broken-hearted. Who can help you better than somebody who walked through the same thing and they saw God's goodness and they saw his long-term faithfulness and they can comfort you. They can give you what God gave them. So God uses trials to teach trust and he uses trials to prepare us to minister to others. And one last thing, he uses trials to give us a testimony before a skeptical world. Let's go back to our three Hebrew children. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the oven. They're thrown into an oven that's seven times hotter. They're thrown into an oven that is so hot, those that throw them in are incinerated when they throw them in. And they're thrown in fully clothed, I I assume so they burn better, and their hands are bound behind their back, and they're thrown in that way. And and now, now it's showtime. It's showtime. Because remember, they said, our God will deliver us. He'll either take us out of it or he'll take us through it, but he is going to come through for us because we know our God and we've learned to trust him. Now watch this. It says in Daniel 3.24, but suddenly, I love that word suddenly, because Nebuchadnezzar is watching for them to ignite and suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And they're all going, yes, your majesty, we certainly did. And he says, look, I see four men unbound, walking around, in the fire, unharmed. That's telling me you can walk around in a red-hot trial and not be harmed. You can walk around in a red-hot, fiery trial, oven of trial, and not be harmed. You're in it, but you're not hurt by it. You're in it, but you're not taken out by it. You're in it, but you're going to come through it. Now, I want you to look at how they came through. He says, he says, look, I'm seeing four men unbound walking around, and the fourth one looks like a god. Another version says, looks like the son of God. It was Jesus. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, I gotta, I gotta get closer and see what this is about. So he got as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. And I love this. He shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now look at what he calls them, servants of the most high God. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Stepped out. Everybody say they stepped out. But I want you to notice when they stepped out. They stepped out of the fire after Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in the fire with them. In other words, they didn't step out until the testimony had stepped in. They didn't step out until the testimony was made real to Nebuchadnezzar. And when the testimony of their fiery ordeal and their deliverance was made clear to the king, that's when they stepped out. That tells me sometimes God lets us walk through something until those around us who are skeptical of our testimony see the way God is keeping us in the fire. And look at the impact it had. Those, the high officers, the officials, the governors, all of the who's who's crowded around them and saw the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing affected was the things that tied their hands. Those were burned off. 
Oh, my. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. There is no, here's the testimony, there's no other God who can rescue like this. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Now, I've told you how you get a testimony. I say it a lot. I'll say it again. You get a testimony when you're tested and some moaning. You're moaning. Oh, I'm going through a trial. Oh, this hurts. There's some moaning and there's a test. But when you come out on the other side, you've got a testimony. And others see it and they go, wow. Jesus didn't just work for them when things were good, but Jesus carried them through some fire. And what would have taken me down didn't take them down. Amen. Can we stand together? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you are in a test? You're in an oven test. Uh, you're being tested. Amen. All right. Do you believe the fourth man's going to step in there with you? Are you ready? He's already there. He's already there. He's in the fire with you. He's in the oven with you. He's already there. I'm not saying it's easy. I've been through some tests that honestly, I didn't know if I was going to make it to the end of the day. I could say with Paul, I didn't know how I was ever going to get out. But God strengthened me. And look, you didn't think you'd ever be in church again. Here you are again. You didn't think you'd ever praise again. And look at you, you're praising again today. The devil told you you're down and out. And he stood over you and gave the count. But right when he got to nine, God came through. The fourth man showed up and stood you up. Yes. And that's what Jesus died for. He died to get us to heaven and he died to give us victory on this earth. See him on that cross. Look what he went through. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our struggles and pain. Because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus suffered ultimately. And that's why he can ultimately understand and is touched by our pain. Can we lift our hands to the one touched by our pain? Jesus, some in here are suffering physically, some emotionally. Some spiritually, some are brokenhearted, some don't know what to do next, don't know where to turn, but Lord, we put our trust in you, we put our trust in you, and somebody there in your living room, I'm going to talk to you, you don't know what to do, you're hurting, maybe you've heard a terrible report from the doctor, you've lost your job. I'm talking right to you. Jesus is in that living room, in that car, in that office with you. He's, he's in the fire with you. And we're praying for you right here. And, and, and I'm asking him to touch you right where you are. Father, now if you're in a fiery oven today, lift your hands. Say, I'm in a, I'm in a trial, Pastor Jeff. Lift your hands high. And I, I don't have time to call you down, but I want to pray for you right here. Father, you see every hand. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name to touch every person. Lord, you see their hands. You know their names. 
You, you know their struggle. You know what they're facing. You know what the enemy has told them. You know the intimidation. You know the threats. But Lord, we say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will trust God and we will not cave in. Lord, thank you that you've already got our deliverance planned. Now say with me to the Lord, say, Lord, I give you this fiery oven trial. Thank you that you're in it with me and you're going to bring me out to the other side. I trust you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't lean on my own understanding. You've got it. And you've got me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.